All right, good to see you guys today inside. It is again, yes, children can be dismissed to Children's Church. I see those expectant looks. I had not forgotten this week, but uh, there, were, there were eyes looking at me saying, we can go now, right? So yes, you can go, kids, up through fourth grade. Uh, yeah, it's really nice to be worshiping inside with you all today. Um, love worshiping outside, but it's just great to hear the voices of the saints, and we can do that more clearly inside. I also want to say thank you for those that helped lead worship today. Some of you might have noticed we had some people that had never served in that capacity here at Byfield before. These are folks that have served at other churches, but it's awesome to have new folks uh, serving with us in that way. So thank you to them and also to Matt, Wooly, and Bob Lathrop just for all the organization they do and, and others as well, Chris. I mean, we could go on and on with that, I last thing before we jump into the sermon, just want to also take a minute to recognize this is Memorial Day weekend. We recognize, we enjoy this freedom of worship as Americans that is very atypical uh, in many areas of the world. And a large part of the reason we enjoy that freedom of worship is because people died to make that possible. So we, we recognize that sacrifice. We remember those individuals. Some of you have lost loved ones in that way. And uh, we are just thankful for those people that were willing to make that ultimate sacrifice so that we could be gathered here today so we can have the freedom to do so. Last week here at Byfield, we looked at the passage of scripture that we are again going to be looking at today. Our focus wasn't on the whole passage. It was on what Paul meant when he said sexual immorality in the first verse. Scripture is pretty clear throughout what the sexual ideal is that Christians are called to live out. If you missed that sermon, I'd encourage you to go back and check that out. You can do that on YouTube or through the church website or we're on Apple Podcasts as well. So you can do that if you have the inclination to do so. Today, we are going to return to this passage to deal with an issue that is harder in many ways than sexuality. Sexuality is supposed to be the third rail in American culture. If you touch it, you will regret it. Within the church, though, that is not so much the case. Church discipline which is what we are going to address today, is actually a more difficult issue, in my opinion. I'm not aware of any other issue that Bible-believing Christians who attend church regularly will openly question so readily. Many Christians outright reject the idea of church discipline. Now, some of that resistance is probably the product of personal experience. Those who have seen church discipline happen have often seen it done poorly and for the wrong reasons. Even when it is done well, it is unpleasant. Experience may explain some of the resistance to church discipline, 
But I think the reservations many have about it are more philosophical. The very idea pushes against convictions we have about our own independence. The existence of church discipline has a lot of implications we don't appreciate as individualistic Westerners. Today, we are going to see what scripture has to say about church discipline. More specifically, we are going to see what 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8 has to say about church discipline. Please turn there with me now. Those verses are printed in your bulletin, or you can use your personal Bible. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Hear the word of the Lord. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Situations exist in which church discipline is necessary. The church in Corinth is facing just such a situation. Sometimes modern Christians lack clarity regarding the details of what is happening in biblical narratives. We really got to search to figure out what the situation is. That is not the case here. No additional context is really needed. A man has his father's wife. The simplest understanding of what is happening is that a man that is a member of the church in Corinth has a sexual relationship with his stepmother. The verb used to describe this act is in the infinitive verbal form. What that means is this is not a one-time dalliance. It is ongoing. Paul points out that even by the cultural standards of the day, this was thought to be way out of bounds. It says the sexual immorality happening in the church in Corinth is of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. 
even in the hypersexualized climate of Corinth, what is happening within the church would have been considered disgusting. No church is immune to the sort of situation that Paul is addressing in Corinth. The church is made up of people. People are sinners. Sometimes sin so completely captures the life of a person that people do things that boggle the mind. Christianity in America is going through this period where several people that were looked upon as heroes of the faith have been revealed, not just as people that have made mistakes, but as outright sexual predators. The worst example of this recently is Ravi Zacharias. If you were in the church for long enough, at some point you will find yourself in a situation where church discipline is an option that must be considered for a horrifying revelation. Sin is always on the prowl. Now, the necessity of church discipline is a tragedy. We should mourn over sin. Our hearts should be breaking. It is easier to get angry. Getting angry is kind of a defense mechanism. Anger makes us feel like we are in control, but we are not in control. Sin walks hand in hand with chaos. Sometimes the only option is to remove sin and the sinner that commits it from the church. We mourn when church discipline is necessary because it means that someone we care about, a person we considered a brother or sister in Christ has been so completely overcome by sin, they are not the person we once knew any longer. Church discipline is the nuclear option when this happens. It should not be taken lightly. It is sometimes necessary when all other options have failed. Church discipline involves a removal of fellowship for sin. We can learn several specific things about the type of sin that could result in church discipline being necessary from today's verses. The man in Corinth, in a relationship with his stepmom, is sinning in a defiant way. He is not an opium addict struggling against his addiction. He is living out his life in an obviously immoral way for all to see with no evidence of any regret. The fact this sin is ongoing matters. At some point when a sin is ongoing, those who are aware of the sin become complicit in it. Every church's initial inclination 
should be to show grace to one another. The Lord knows we all need it. But when grace is chronically abused, it becomes a cheapened excuse for a codependent dynamic. Not every sin should lead to church discipline. Most shouldn't, in fact. Again, this is something we should all be grateful for. We all are sinners, after all. However, I am convinced that the problem in the church in the United States is not that we use church discipline too much. We have a very low level of accountability in general. Jesus' admonition to not ignore the log in our own eyes while picking out the specks in others' eyes has morphed into a lot of churchgoers walking around with huge logs sticking out of their eyes that everybody can see and nobody is willing to say anything about it. We are called to hold each other accountable. This is a basic function of the church. When somebody falls and breaks a hip, they go to rehab. Once there, they're expected to work on their strength and balance. Sometimes patients go and they're not interested in doing the rehabilitation work. They just wanna sit. If that's all they want to do, then they end up getting transferred to a nursing home. Too often, the church functions more like a nursing home than a rehab. If your goal in being here is to just sit and be comfortable, this should be the wrong place for you. This church, all churches, are supposed to be focused on re rehabilitation. The goal of church discipline is rehabilitation. Paul says, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That sounds really bad. Yeah, and it's actually worse than it sounds. Sin can have an impact on our whole being. Many of you know that I was a registered nurse for a long time, and back when I first started, I was on a cardiac step-down floor, and a lot of the patients, not surprisingly, that I took care of were there for either because they were struggling with obesity or they'd been smokers for a long time. When I would take the health history, those were two really common things that popped up. But as I worked on this cardiac step-down floor for a while, I noticed there was a third issue that was particularly prevalent. I took care of a lot of really controlling, really type A people. Physically, they looked great on the outside, but that controllingness had gotten into their heart. It had affected their physical well-being. We underestimate the impact of sin on our lives. Left completely unchecked, sin destroys people physically just as much as it does spiritually and psychologically. 
You will sometimes see this in mugshots. You see a mugshot and it says, this person's 45 years old. And it's like, they look 70. They look 75 years old. Sin cannot be underestimated. The motivation for handling a fellow Christian over to the destruction of the flesh must not be vindictiveness. When people we care about sin, it can feel very personal. They're not just rejecting God, but the relationships they have developed with other believers. Those Christians that feel they have been rejected by someone they care about in favor of a life of sin experience hurt. When someone hurts us, our natural response is to want to hurt them back. If church discipline is used as a means of inflicting pain on a person who has sinned, it is not church discipline as the Bible describes it. It is revenge, which the Bible clearly speaks against. The only appropriate motivation for church discipline is spiritual rehabilitation so that the person's spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Loving a person in this way is incredibly unpleasant. In last week's sermon, we talked about how love isn't just a feeling. It is a covenantal commitment that leads to action. People with an immature worldly understanding on love can't conceive how church discipline can be loving. That is because addressing sin and brokenness in someone you care about feels terrible. It feels terrible for all involved. There is no part of being a pastor I dislike more than leading a church that is trying to deal with problematic individual sins. When it is necessary, it causes a ton of stress. You guys are very nice. And after last, last week's sermon, several people either came up to me after the service or reached out to me otherwise and said, man, Thank you for preaching on sexuality. You know, that was, that was really brave. And I, I do, I appreciate those compliments. That sermon didn't require anywhere close to the level of bravery that is required trying to practice some form of church discipline, some form of accountability when someone that you care about is dealing with a sin that has taken over their lives, speaking the truth about the havoc their sinful behavior is wreaking is such a hard thing to do. Nothing is more difficult in a church than doing church discipline, which is the most extreme form of biblical accountability. To practice church discipline in situations it is needed, we must care more about the spiritual well-being of others 
then we care about our own emotional comfort. Back when I was an ICU nurse, I got reported to hospital management one time for the way I was speaking to a patient. I came out of a patient room in the middle of a shift and there's several members of senior hospital management waiting to speak with me. A family member of a patient I wasn't even caring for had heard me speaking to a patient I was caring for. My patient was this old Marine that was on a ventilator. And I was, I was trying to get this guy off this ventilator. So I was cutting back on the sedative medications that were keeping him asleep. I was also getting him up over into a chair, which is a whole debacle when somebody's on a ventilator. It's a huge pain. And what was happening, and this guy was lucid, is anytime I would take him off his restraints, both chemically and otherwise, he'd try to pull himself off the ventilator. He'd try to pull the tube that was keeping him alive out of his throat. And so I went at this guy like a drill sergeant. I was tearing into him. And that is what this family that walked by the room heard. And I was saying to him, if you don't stop this behavior, I'm going to have to physically restrain you. I'm going to have to chemically restrain you. You are not going to get off this ventilator. Understandably, this family was concerned. And I explained this to the hospital management. I said to them, go ask this guy's family. Go ask if they have a problem with the way I am handling him. You know what would have been a lot easier? Just to punch the clock. It would have been so much easier just to keep this guy sedated. Let other people worry about getting him off the ventilator. A willingness to do church discipline comes from taking sin seriously enough that we will do everything in our power to save our brothers and sisters who are struggling from its consequences. Often when church discipline happens, it's not going to end well in the short term. We take the consequences of our actions seriously in the here and now. But we must take the eternal consequences of our actions even more seriously. The desire for the rehabilitation of a fellow believer must be the driving force behind our actions. Church discipline is sometimes necessary for the good of the individual. It is also necessary at times for the health of the church. The spiritual well-being of Christians in a church context is intimately connected to one another. Paul explains the extent of this connection by talking about a lump of dough and leaven. We typically use yeast to leaven bread. Anyone that is a baker can tell you that once you add yeast to dough, it pervades the whole lump. When added to the dough, yeast begins feeding on the sugars 
in the flour and releases the carbon dioxide that makes bread rise. The chemical composition of the bread is changed by leaven. It becomes something different. Unlike baking soda or baking powder that can also be added to make bread rise, yeast is an organism that multiplies and spreads throughout the dough. A small amount of yeast will eventually change the composition of however much dough it has access to. Paul's point is that sin operates in churches in the same way. A sin that gains a foothold in a church will eventually affect everyone in the church. There is really no such thing as a personal sin. Americans are used to living as independent actors. The way I live my life is nobody else's business. I am my own man, I make my own decisions, and I live with the consequences. In keeping with our general approach to life, we think of our faith as being an individual pursuit. It's not. Christians, especially those that exist together in local churches, are interconnected to one another. We are all part of the same lump of dough. My brokenness affects each one of you and vice versa. There are situations where the amount of damage one individual is bringing into a church through their sin with no regard for how it affects others just can't be tolerated any longer. Every effort should be made to address such individuals while still maintaining community. But there are times when this is not possible. Sometimes the church has to make the hard decision to cut someone off from fellowship because their sin is doing damage to everyone and they refuse to stop. The church is to cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. Churches exist to help individual Christians progress in what Jesus has made possible. Anyone who doesn't think they need to progress in their faith or lacks the desire to do so really has no use for a church. Any church that is not in the business of developing people's faith is not really a church, it's a social club. This church, Byfield Parish exists to make disciples. Our vision is to be a body that facilitates the progression of people through cleansing out the old leaven so that the saintly status we have been given in Christ can be more fully realized. Jesus' self-sacrifice is what makes this progression possible. 
We look back on what Jesus has done so that we can move forward into what he has called us to. Paul says, let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil. Church discipline as the most extreme act of discipleship can easily turn into legalism that is filled with malice. Many churches where church discipline is taken seriously become hotbeds of legalism. In these churches, everybody follows the rules, but the joy and freedom of the gospel is absent. Paul deals with that type of church culture in his letter to the Galatians. Recognizing accountability is part of being a church. It's not a license, excuse me, to put a magnifying glass to one another's lives. Some of the most toxic churches you will ever come across are those that are supposedly just trying to take the biblical call to holiness seriously. Pervasive judgmentalism might actually be the most commonly destructive sin pattern in churches that needs to be dealt with. More damage has probably been done in churches from Christians that are toxic in this way than has been done by all the affairs and all the financial malfeasance that occurs in churches. Our approach to one another should be filled, not with the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. We are to disciple one another by speaking the truth to each other with sincerity. Through speaking God's truth to each other because we care, We disciple one another. Christian accountability is hard. In its most extreme form of church discipline, it is one of the hardest things we will ever have to do as a Christian. It is so easy to inflict pain, so hard to communicate love and truth at the same time. My hope would be that church discipline would never be necessary at Byfield Parish Church. My experience in churches leads me to believe that is unlikely. We are all sinners. Sometimes sin so completely takes over a person's life that the intervention of church discipline is necessary for the soul of the individual and the health of the church. The Bible makes that clear. We have a responsibility to each other. We are interconnected as Christians. Our calling is to help one another grow to be more like Christ, to be disciples that disciple others. We cleanse the old leaven of sin for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. This church is called by God to be a place 
where we disciple each other with sincerity and truth, even when it's hard to do so, especially when it is hard to do so. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to be a community walking together in grace, loving one another. And Lord, we recognize the difficulties that arise with that, Lord. We recognize that our own spirits rebel against others speaking the truth into our lives. Lord, I pray that we would be open to that. I pray that we would be open to other believers telling us where we're falling short, where we are allowing sin to overcome our lives, Lord. And Lord, I pray that church discipline would not be something that would ever be necessary at Byfield Parish Church. But I also pray that if it is necessary, we would do it well. That we would love people well, even if they do not interpret it as love at the time, Lord. And we pray for rehabilitation and we pray for restoration. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.